Hey, oh, this is CIA Files Headlines Edition. I'm Topher M. Ford, and here with me is Brandon Givens. Brandon, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Um, Good. Last weekend, I went up to Captcha Guy Lake and saw some petroglyphs. I might post some of the pictures from it. And I went to um, a Soviet-era car museum. That was a lot of fun. Whoa. What, were they? Did they all look like cereal boxes with wheels? No, no, no. Not at all. I mean, a lot of them looked really nice. Uh, that's cool. I just picture the, the you know, the, the block. The tiny <laughs> right. block. Um, but there's a, a car here called the Lada, which is, uh, I mean, Soviet era. But, I mean, they still make them. And they're kind of blocky, but I don't know. I kind of think they're cute. And yeah. They're getting they're getting really pretty good and tough, but uh, the old versions they they spit out a whole lot of pollution, so that was kind of a problem with them. But they're pretty easy to fix, and so people kind of liked them. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Having a nice a car that's easy to fix is harder and harder to come by these days. Um, I guess we should talk about some news, eh? All right. <laughs> um, we're going to cover uh, a handful of stories here. Um, we've got one about a, the Swiss spy chief who had to quit his job after a row over the CIA-linked crypto firm. We'll get into that. Um, thousands of Afghans, now that uh, President Biden has announced that he is pulling out troops from Afghanistan, Thousands of Afghans who helped the U.S. are now looking for a way to evacuate the country before the Taliban finds them and kills them for revenge. Uh, we'll come back to that one. Uh, we have reports of three different spies found in Taiwan who were arrested and charged with spying for China. We've got an update on the... Uh, directed energy attacks, the Havana syndrome attacks, uh, that the CIA is now taking a more active uh, stance in that investigation. Uh, another story about the CIA, where we learned that they had a vac they were using vaccine tracking to hunt down Osama bin Laden, and as a result, uh, vaccinations plummeted in Pakistan, and now polio is still a thing there. Oh, the Rotary Club, bless their heart. They try, <laughs> they're trying so hard. <laughs> and uh, U.S. Navy seizes weapons in Arabian Sea, most likely headed for Yemen. But first, of course, we're going to talk about the big story, which is happening in Israel right now. This is definitely a big story everybody is following right now. Um, and it's, you know, that was the first thing that people say when you bring this up is it's complicated. Um, uh, Brandon, you're our history guy. Uh, can you give us like a little background information on, you know, the history of this conflict? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try to give some background and also... Um, clear up some misconceptions. Now, unfortunately, I know, given the background, it's going to be unfair. I'll try my best to be as fair as possible, but it's like impossible 
to not leave something out and right, right. give, you know, the whole tit for tat. Um, but I'll try to hit the, the major points with the idea of getting to what sparked these protests recently. Um, going back to Roman Palestine, because, you know, a lot of people are familiar with um, Israel during the Bible or that sort of, you know, during that time. Um, the Palestinians there, they were Semitic pagans. They lived throughout that region, especially Gaza. Like what's now Gaza was never part of Israel. Or if it was, it was very temporarily um, controlled. Um, there were the Samaritans there. They used to make up a huge portion of the population. And they were descended from the Jewish people that were not taken off to Babylon. And then when, you know, the Israelis returned, you know, there was, hey, we're our cousins, but their religion has kind of changed a little bit. Uh, and, uh, and there were Greeks and Romans there and, and of course, the, the Jewish people. Uh, once Rome accepted Christianity, that area became a majority Christian. Okay, so the Romans of the Byzantines, they controlled it more or less continuously until about the 630s, um, except for a brief period when the Persians conquered it temporarily. And they were Zoroastrian at the time. And they initially sided with the Jewish population. Um, the exact percentage is, I'm not sure, but maybe 10%, maybe 20%. Um, you know, so they sided with the Jewish population over the Christians, but then they switched to supporting the local Christians because there were just more of them. But uh, eventually the Byzantines retook it. And they maintained control until um, the mid-600s when Muslim Arab armies conquered the area. And um, Muslims controlled it for centuries, with the small exception of the Crusades. And the Turk, um, Turkey, well, the Ottoman Empire, which is, was dominated by the Turks, they took it in the early 1500s. All right, now just kind of scrolling on back a second. It had been a Christian territory uh, when, the, when it was first conquered by the Arab armies. And it had a minority Jewish population, but over time, people converted to Islam. You know, just like in Persia, modern-day Iran, they were Zoroastrian. And, you know, the Arab, the Islamic Arab armies conquered it. And it wasn't like everyone just one day was like, okay, we're going to all be Muslim now. It, it was a process. It took generations. Right. And um, so in the early, even like the early 20th century, Palestine and Syria just depends on I mean, some regions were majority Christian, but you can say 10 to 20 percent Christian. And Lebanon had a, a very high Christian population. It was known for pretty much being a Christian area. Uh, one of the, the general statements is that, oh, the Palestinians don't really exist, that there, there are people from Jordan or Syria that came in. And, and that's simply not true. Palestinian um, the people that are Palestinian Muslims, their great-great-grandparents have lived there for centuries. I mean, the DNA evidence is there. Uh, the only gr possible grain of truth to that is when Palestine was controlled by the Ottoman Empire, um, people from all over the Ottoman Empire moved there 
goes, yeah, well, the economy's growing or for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. uh, but that, but saying that they're not really Palestinians would be like saying the English aren't really English because um, Indians moved there. And other people and people from Hong Kong moved to England. Therefore, the English aren't English anymore. During the, the Ottoman Empire, um, Jewish people were returning to Israel. Um, some of it was simply fleeing persecution in Europe, such as the Inquisition. And they didn't all necessarily go to Israel, but there were definitely efforts to go back, go back to Israel and reestablish a, a Jewish state. And this really took off in the late 1800s. Um, you started getting you know, a significant population. And they set up Hebrew schools and you know, a community and their own sort of self-defense forces. And like Tel Aviv, it was founded by um, Hebrews in the early 1900s. Well, along comes World War I, and the British pulled this Balfour Declaration around 1917 where they announced a plan to create a Jewish state even though it's a majority Muslim and Christian Palestinian. Um, I mean, there were Jewish people there, but, you know, like 8 to 11% of the population. Yeah. The British are diplomatically brilliant. They were able to motivate the Arabs to revolt against the Ottomans and um, incorporated uh, like a a Jewish legion to invade Palestine and help push the um, Ottomans out. And... In the end, yeah, they, they conquered it from the Ottomans. It was occupied by the British. Uh, you know, word kind of got out about, oh, they, they want to create a, a Jewish state here. Uh, they, and there were already race riots by 1920. And, but then in 1920, the British mandate was set up where they're like, okay, England, you're going you're gonna to control this. At that point... The country had about 600 to 700,000 people, 11% being Jewish, about nine or so Christian, you know, so leaving about 80% Muslim. But between 1920 and 1930, 300 to 400,000 Jewish people moved to Palestine. And so Arabs just openly revolted in 39. They were like, oh, no, 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 we, you know, you're, you're trying to, to, um, Brought us out, erase, erase our culture and history, and yeah, you know. So and wasn't there calls from the Palestinians who lived there previously that they were concerned that what the British were really trying to do was set up like another colony there, like they were trying to move their empire into the Middle East with uh, the Jewish population as a proxy. I'm sure that was the perception, and I don't know if that perception would have been incorrect. Uh, and the British, they were trying to maintain direct control, but they quickly figured out how difficult it was. Their answer to the Arab revolt was to begin to restrict Jewish migration to Palestine. They were like, okay, we, we, we get it. You, you, know, you don't want to be outnumbered. And so, okay. Then... World War II happens, and this is really unfortunate because that's, you know, Palestine in many ways would be a logical place for um, Jewish people to flee to. But now the British were saying, "Uh, no, we don't really want to let you go there because it's going to aggravate the Arabs. And a lot of other countries were closing their borders to refugees. So it's very unfortunate, that situation. I mean, it was a crime against humanity. And secret organizations set up to to sneak 
Jewish people into Palestine. And by the end of the war, it was 30% Jewish. Yeah. The you know, more and more Jewish immigrants are trying to just go to Israel, you know, like surviving the Holocaust or getting out. Like we're, we're, we're done with Europe. We want, we want to go, we want to go to Israel. Can't really blame them. And the British were refusing to let them in. So within Israel, right-wing Jewish organizations started terror campaigns and blew up a hotel and captured some British sergeants and held them hostage. They ended up hanging them and booby-trapping the bodies. And the British were like, all right, we're done. You know, you guys have to have to handle it. They hand it over to the UN. Like, we got other problems to deal with. Uh, so the UN came up with, uh, oh, we're going to do two states. We're going to have an Israeli state and an Arab state. It devolved into civil war pretty, pretty late 47. Um, by 48, the Jewish militias were on the offensive. Some Muslim civilians were killed. 200,000 Palestinians fled. And there's an argument that their leaders encouraged them to leave, but whatever, they left. Right. And um, in May, the British mandate officially ended, and the Jewish agency declared the state of Israel. And then immediately, four Arab nations, and you know, they have some allies who send troops, invade. And during the course of that war, this Arab-Israeli war, 700,000 more Palestinians flee. The war ends with a ceasefire. So... We get to this sort of status quo situation where uh, the war kind of ended, but not really. And there are a lot of Palestinians, you know, 800, 900,000 Palestinians living outside of their home. And Israel's not letting them come back. So now the West Bank was controlled by Jordan. So a lot of the Palestinians were there and remained there. That gets us to today. That land in Israel where the 700,000 Palestinians left, the Palestinians lost title to that by, by fact. And now the Jewish settlers, Israelis, they, they have it. They have control of it. There was some, uh, this recent court case. There was a recent court case where some Palestinians were living on land in, in East Jerusalem that Jewish people had lived on before the war. But during the when Jordan controlled the West Bank, they're like, okay, well, these Jewish people have left because of the war, so you guys can stay here. And they've been living there, you know, in 60 years now or so. 70, <laughs> 70 years. And the court said it was a Jewish settler organization was pressing to get the land back and saying, hey, this was taken from Israeli citizens. Back in the 50s, it's not fair. You should give it back. And the court said, yes, they should. And so it really upset the Palestinians who were like, well, what about all this other land that we don't, we don't get back? So, you know, somebody can go and live on our, you know, our grandpa's land and keep it, but we live on someone's grandpa's land and we got to give it back. And so it led to some riots. And after the riots, of course, Hamas has to start sending missiles because that's what Hamas does. And then that sucks all the air out of any conversation about it. So you can't really get down to the brass tacks of what was, you know, what sort of injustice is going on or how to deal with it. Instead, it just devolves into senseless violence. And it's, you know, very unfortunate. Yeah. And so, okay. So, one question, like the Palestinians who live in Gaza, um, do they have anywhere else to go? Do they even have the option of leaving? Well, or, yeah. I've heard people 
refer to Gaza as an open air prison. <laughs> right. Like I wasn't exactly sure what to make of that. Uh, it's a gap in my knowledge. Well, usually going somewhere, you need a travel document. The Palestinian authority has a travel document um, that they can issue. And I think Israel has a type of travel document, but it's it's very difficult. Not many nations accept it. And th- I mean, this is a, a big issue for Palestinians outside of the West Bank, too. And you also have to remember the West Bank and Gaza are run by two different Palestinian groups, you know, which makes it even more confusing and frustrating. Let's see, but, all right. So an example, the, um, the Palestinian refugees in Lebanon, uh, they're just kind of in this permanent second class citizenship status can do like construction work, but they can't be doctors or lawyers. And Syria, it's better. They can own property and they can do, you know, they can be doctors, lawyers. They're they're not really restricted. Jordan did offer many of the Palestinian citizenship. And that becomes a tricky issue itself because it's seen by the Palestinians and other Arabs as a form of genocide, um, which I think genocide might be a strong word, but maybe like a culture, culture aside. Right, to eradicate any Palestinian presence in Israel and in the surrounding yeah, area. So yeah, so if they all take on a different passport, then they cease to exist. I mean, me personally, I think that's kind of what I would do. But I, I mean, that's also unfair to right. say. And there's the culture. And there's history, like this element of, like, well, that's my grandpa's. Yeah, I was going to say there's like an element of pride there where they're saying, are we going to just let the Israelis have everything they want without any pushback. Um, Can we talk about Hamas a little bit? Because I don't know a lot about Hamas. From what I've uh, been reading lately, there seem to be two branches of it. Uh, There's the military branch who has been lobbing homemade rockets at Israel. And then they have another branch that's uh, civil service. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of like Hezbollah, too, where they get the, the the donated money from around the world, wherever it all comes from, and they have a civil branch, which basically parallels the government. It's like, oh, you know, you're sick. Well, let's try to get you some medicine and such. But it's a clientelism uh, or maybe even corporatism, like a way of maintaining control over the population is, oh, the people that are in the good graces of the party. It's kind of like old school communist party, you know, like, oh, as long as you're, yeah. as long as you're doing well with the party, then, oh, you're you know, first in line of the hospital or, oh, when we have this contract we need filled, well, we're going to go to you. And in the U.S., Tammany Hall back in the late 1800s, you know, you, <laughs> if you're poor and starving and it's like, okay, well, we need you to vote and support us in exchange. I want to make sure you get a job somewhere. And um, so... You know, the civic being works a lot like that. Even like the people in Palestine, or as well, Gaza specifically, you know, report like they don't necessarily like Hamas, but they don't know, they might not have any other options. And Right. And this is, this is something that keeps popping into my head too. What does Hamas hope to gain? Because the rocket attacks seem to be largely ineffective. Most it seems like most of the rockets get shot down by Israel's missile defense system, or a lot of the rockets just 
fall apart or quit working before they reach their target and just fall out of the sky. What I don't understand. Is it a pride thing? Is it a public image thing where they're like, we're not giving up our dream of getting rid of Israel, even though it should be painfully apparent that Israel's not going anywhere anytime soon? That That's a very good question. Well, I mean, if they're those that are religious fanatics believe that by faith they will win, like in time, they will win. Um, they're not necessarily thinking very strategically. It isn't necessarily, maybe launching the missiles isn't about actually killing Israelis so much as what Israel is going to do in retaliation and then just how miserable the people become. I mean, if the people stay miserable, they're actually kind of more dependent on Hamas. (laughs) Well, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, you got like safety and security concerns. And after your safety and security concerns are met, then you can start thinking about, you know, education and figuring out, you know, your way out of a problem. If the people in the Gaza Strip can just constantly stay afraid and fearful for their lives unsafe yeah for their lives then hamas can easily control them what seems to be happening with some of the the younger people is they don't necessarily like hamas or launching the missiles um, but they're just so frustrated they're they're willing to try anything or just and one of my one of the things i was wondering too though is if hamas wasn't there or if hamas wasn't launching rockets at israel would israel treat the palestinian people any better i don't know i feel a little cynical about that maybe hamas believes that doing nothing would be worse than ineffective attacks that they have to i don't know even maybe like a pr thing like we have to show people that we're still here i guess i don't know yeah it could be pr um uh, i mean it's Probably a lot of people that are just desperate. Um, what do they call in um, Jungle Logic? They call it um, FARC in Colombia when they were kidnapping people. And then, you know, they're kidnapping tourists or rich people. It just it got to the point where it was just a business. And they kind of came out recently and were like, yeah, that was pretty dumb of us. We shouldn't have done that. We became terrorists. And we were, you know, we were trying to liberate the people but really we were just terrorists and we said it was the jungle it was jungle logic where well one of our politicians was kidnapped so we're going to go into the city and kidnap one of theirs and you know or we felt like so it was this sort of tit for tat and if you can control the narrative that might work for you but if you can't control the narrative or you start hurting innocent people then it doesn't work out um, yeah, so these guys lobbing missiles, it's not really helping them. I mean, it might, they, they it might help them maintain support from whatever groups are giving them money. Yeah. You know, if Iran isn't sending the money or something, they're like, oh, well, okay, you sent some rockets. You're still right. Let me send you some more. <laughs> and it's also, um, I imagine like the cheap rockets that don't really blow anything up. Israel's probably spending a hundred thousand dollars or something. I'm just making that number up, but they're probably spending a whole lot of money to stop it. So it's just another way of 
you know, for a small amount of money, they can make Israel spend a lot of money. But the the cost, the human cost, I, yeah, I, I don't see how that's worth it. But the answer to your question about whether if they stop doing these things, would Israel treat them better? Well, that that's Israel's party line. I mean, that's kind of their whole thing with all the negotiations is to say, like, well, when you guys stop the terrorist attacks and stop another big one is um, stop paying like the mothers of martyrs, then we can talk. And with a sense, I kind of understand Israel's statement on that. <laughs> They're like, yeah. Look, you know. But I feel like the counter to that, though, is maybe we would stop doing these terrorist attacks if you would stop seizing more land. Right. And stop forcing the Palestinians into smaller and smaller areas. Because, you know, I was looking up some information on Gaza and it's, you know, it's a tiny, tiny piece of land. And it's the 13th densest population center in the world. Right. Um, And so that gets back to like what I mentioned, the open air prison thing. It's, It's difficult for them to go anywhere. And then, you know, Israelis keep coming in and taking land and leaving Palestinians with less and less land. Well, the land's mostly being taken in the West Bank. I don't think they've taken much of Gaza in, in many, many years. Right. But in general, if there are Palestinians living in the other places where Israel is taking their land, won't those people most likely end up in Gaza or in one of the other little places that have been designated as in west in west bank the smaller designated areas they're basically being moved out of areas they have like a zones b zones and c zones and it's like oh well, you got to move from this area to this area so it's well it's where they've been described as an apartheid state um for that reason and part for that reason there's actually i mean much more to it right but yeah the amount of land available for Palestinians to live on is is getting smaller. And I think what you're talking about is the plan because Netanyahu's thing is like, oh, yeah, yeah, we have these very reasonable demands. Stop the attacks, you know, stop giving money to, you know, the, the martyr money. And, but now we're going to do something that's going to aggravate some people. And, I, you know, like I, if the, even if the Palestinian Authority wanted to stop it, I don't know that they could. Like, you can't stop a fool from doing a fool thing. You can't stop desperate people from being radicalized and committing violence. And so there'll just always be that excuse. And, well, the Biden administration about this, this uh, the court case, I, I mean, they made a fair enough statement. They're like uh, something to the effect of Israel's actions are not conducive to calming the situation. And that's the thing that seems to be absent is... I mean, Israel doesn't really do a whole lot to calm the situation, but I mean, they don't have to, right. do they, you know, I was going to say, why would, why would they? Yeah. Because the, the rocket attacks are ineffective. So they're not risking much as far as loss of life and uh, infrastructure damage, but it gives them a great excuse to go. People are going to leave. If you bomb all of the buildings in you know, in an area, people aren't are going to leave. And then they can come in and fix it up and occupy it. Uh, I, th- I think they're, they're, the long-term plan is to um, eventually, t- I mean, the, the two-state solution is dead. It's just 
we say it's a lie because it's a nice fairy tale, but I don't even know if that is a nice fairy tale. I mean, it's kind of ironic because initially the Palestinians wanted one state, and now it seems like we're coming to it. It'll just be the majority Israeli. Right. And that's what I imagine is the long-term game. Take a little bit more land, some riots happen, Hamas does some crazy stuff, they do some crazy stuff back. Oh, no, no peace deal. Oh, we got to take a little bit more land to make sure we're safe. And then eventually, once Israelis are the majority, uh, they can they can offer the Palestinian citizenship. <laughs> you know, this. all right, guys, if you want. But that's going to be problematic because not all will accept it for that reason. Right. Where they'll say, oh, because Israel, you know, is stated to be a Jewish state. And they're like, well, not be part of a Jewish state. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Can you just, maybe you can... You know, if if you vote, is it? You know, yeah, uh, maybe maybe you can have a separate yeah. passport. Call it Israel and Palestine, but it's still one Congress and you know the Kismet or I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, well, let's get in. Let's let's look at some of the headlines that are uh, going on with the story. Um, the most recent one that I found, and this is May sixteenth, Sunday, that we're recording. Um, is, this is from The Guardian. Israel's Netanyahu says Gaza attacks will go on, quote, as long as necessary. Yeah, so basically he, you know, there's no there's no plan to stop anytime soon. And it looks like their intention here is to just completely wipe out Hamas, even if it means just destroying everything, like literally everything. Uh, this is from that article. And so this is the thing, Brandon, you've been fair and even handed in discussing it. Uh, but the one thing that is not even handed is this conflict in that Hamas can't really fight back. And I think that's the only like military presence there, right? Right. right. Yeah. I mean, the, as, I mean, as far as being aligned with Palestinian Different. I mean, there'd be other militia groups and such, but but not an organized yeah, yeah. military. And so the attacks are really one sided. I feel like even if you feel like Hamas are the only bad guys in this, Israel's response. I've been seeing a lot of headlines that say war is inevitable, and I'm like, what are you talking about? There's not going to be a war. What you <laughs> see now is what it's going to be. Hamas can't fight a war. Right, yeah. There's no war. Like, well, if you see it's an insurgency. Beat, <laughs> you could call it an well, insurgency, but... That doesn't mean... That, that does not equal war, though. You know, it's like if I saw two people getting into an argument and then one swung like a really weak punch that didn't even land and the other person proceeded to beat that person unconscious i wouldn't call that a fight i would call that one person had the shit beat out of them you know so this doesn't calling it a war seems really disingenuous i guess i could understand it or like this uh, like an extreme reaction if you thought it would just end it and bring some kind of uh, permanent peace but it's not like it's not <laughs> and i don't think that i don't think that netanyahu thinks that, that was going to happen you know if hamas has been doing hopeless attacks for their history they're not going to stop now because that's what they're used to is hopelessness right. 
Um, and Israel is just going whole hog with the thing. Um, criticism coming in for the country has been, at least as far as criticism that matters from world leaders, has been mild. Biden's only statement has been, I support Israel's right to defend itself, which is kind of the towing the line status quo comment. Uh, meanwhile, so here's from that Guardian article. According to photographs circulated by residents and journalists, the airstrikes created a crater that blocked one of the main roads leading to Shifa, the largest hospital in the Strip, reported efforts to agree on a temporary ceasefire to allow medics in Gaza to recover people alive and dead from under collapsed buildings appears in doubt. And of course, we know by now Israel bombed a building that housed Al Jazeera and AP News, as well as a lot of people's homes and other businesses. They gave the uh, residents an hour, said, you've got one hour and then we're taking out your business. And so that sparked a lot of concern. Israel claims that there was uh, Hamas intelligence offices in the building. AP refutes that claim. They said that they are as thorough as they can to make sure that they're not sharing office space with Hamas. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like Israel... Like if they heard that a member of Hamas stopped at a Starbucks to get a coffee on their way to their Hamas job, then they're going to blow up that Starbucks. You know, they're yeah. they are uh, being very generous with their uh, missiles, which came from us. You know, I, like one of the things that I think of was Trevor Noah from The Daily Show talking about it. You know, of course, he was like, just like everyone else says, it's complicated. It's a complicated story. But he made the point that no matter, you know, if you support Israel and you think Hamas are the bad guys, or you support Hamas and think Israel are the bad guys, whatever stance you take, how can you not look at what's happening and feel like Israel is going way over the line with the amount of attacks that they're doing and how they kind of seem to be indiscriminate. They, they warn people to get out of the building. We have. Uh, <laughs> They're like, you need to get out of the building. We're about to blow it up. <laughs> what, what people at war warn the civilians first? I mean, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, there's some excellent propaganda value to that as I well. I guess. <laughs> you know, like, oh, see, we're the good guys. We told you we were going to blow your house up. <laughs> we gave, we didn't we didn't do it to kill you. We were just trying to destroy your infrastructure. That's all. I don't know if maybe the seventy something Palestinian children that have been blown up, maybe their phones weren't working. Oh yeah. Oh well, you know the the line will be something like they were Hamas hostages, which is kind of true. And it, I mean, it's Israel's line is that oh well, the citizens are you know kind of hostages of Hamas. You know, and I said okay, all right. Well, then why are you lobbing missiles that? If I've got, I'm a hostage and someone has a gun to my head, you know, are you just going to open fire on us? <laughs> you know, yes, like that, one of these is going to get that guy and the bad guy in the head. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I would hate to right. be. I need you to duck. I'm about to shoot. I, I need you to duck. <laughs> I would hate to be Israel's partner in a buddy cop movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's the one movie where one half of a duo got taken hostage with a gun to their head and their partner just shot them. <laughs> So they would fall out of the way. I think that's kind of what it seems like Israel is doing. 
This is also from this morning, AP News. Israeli strike kills 26 toppled buildings in Gaza City. This is this morning, um, or I guess it would have been last night for them. Israeli airstrikes on Gaza City flattened three buildings and killed at least 26 people Sunday, making it the deadliest single attack since heavy fighting broke out between Israel and the territory's militant Hamas rulers. The Gaza Health Ministry said 10 women and 8 children were among those killed, with another 50 people wounded. Israel appears to have stepped up strikes in recent days to inflict as much damage as possible on Hamas as international mediators try to broker a ceasefire. So international mediators are trying to step in and broker a ceasefire, but Israel keeps trying to kill Hamas's leaders, so... That's going slowly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, hey, you guys want to do a ceasefire? And Israel's like, yeah, why don't you come on over here and uh, we'll discuss <laughs> oh, like, like, uh, what was it the U.S. did with um, Osceola? <laughs> it was like, oh, let's, let's negotiate an end to the Seminole War. We're tired of this insurrection. Why don't you, why don't you come on over and we'll, we'll talk about a peace treaty? Yeah, come stand on this X on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> you are now under arrest. Yeah. So that's the thing is I have a hard time sympathizing with Israel over this. Obviously, if a militant group is launching rockets at you all the time, you have to address that. But it seems like their plan is to basically turn the entire area into rubble. And then if we get everybody, then we'll definitely get all the Hamas people. Yeah, and it, it doesn't seem like it's going to lead to Hamas leaving. Like, uh, yeah, I would hope that, I mean, I would have thought years ago that after the, the misery of the Hamas occupation there, that the people would, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard if you're, if you're just constantly afraid and nervous and you can't, you can't even think about, well, what other options can we have democratically or how can we solve these problems? If all you're thinking about is survival, then yeah, you can't really yeah. figure those things out. That's Israel. It's a bummer. Let's move on to some other headlines. Um, the next thing we have up, Swiss spy chief exits after reports of Roe over CIA-linked firm. Now, this is a new development in a story from last year. This is from the story of March 1st, 2020 from Reuters. Switzerland files criminal complaint over crypto spying scandal. Back in 2020, the Swiss government, they were upset to discover that there was a Swiss-based cryptography company that offered encryption and internet security services. And this company served a lot of big country governments, federal governments for countries all over the world. And then it turned out that the company which was called Crypto, was owned by the CIA and a German intelligence group. And they were reading everything. They did the exact opposite. <laughs> I'm sure they encrypted the data after they read it. And Switzerland, uh, of course, very upset about it. So this was May 12th. Jean-Philippe got in, elevated in 2018 to head Switzerland's NDB intelligence service, under then defense minister Guy Parmelin is leaving his post because apparently he and Switzerland's defense minister had a falling out 
over the scandal, the defense minister felt like Godin had this information and kept it from them uh, for a while. And so now he is out. That's just the CIA getting up to their shenanigans. <laughs> well, it's pretty clever. I have to I have to give them that. That's that's pretty clever. Set up, yeah, set up a encryption company in a neutral country uh, that's selling the software to Iran or whoever else. It's downright brilliant. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty clever. <laughs> so yeah, that's interesting. And we'll keep up with the story if there are any other developments. I would be curious to know if there's been any other behind the scenes drama about this with other countries who were the victims of this, who were using those services. It could be that we'll never get to know, but I'm curious about it. And the, the next outline we have, uh, this is from NBC News. We will kill you. Thousands of Afghans who helped U.S. want to evacuate before the Taliban finds them. President Biden said that he was withdrawing troops with, from Afghanistan. He's gonna be the one to end the endless war there, supposedly. And as he's pulling out, a lot of veterans groups and refugee organizations are saying that the Biden administration is not doing anything to help all of the Afghans who worked with Americans as like translators, providing any kind of services to- oh, This has been an ongoing problem for the, the entirety of this war. We've had a huge problem. It's a bureaucratic nightmare. It seems like, you know, having a photocopy of both sides of their employee badge and like, I didn't get an employee badge or something and leaving or pulling out of Afghanistan is a continuation of the Trump policy. So it's one that's Biden. Biden is continuing. Um, But the Taliban has already violated the protocols. So, I mean, we have every reason to, to stay should we decide think we need to put helping our friends into hypers drive because we're our reputation internationally suffered greatly and we we turned our back on the Kurds yeah you know, was- it's understandable that you know policies change like any anybody any 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 rebel or any guerrilla fighter or would be nationalist agent or has to know well things can change you know, the United States might say, well, this, this situation is no longer tenable for us. So it's completely understandable that the U.S. would say to the Kurds, hey, we, we can't we can't stay here anymore. But what can we do for you? Can we get you visas? You know, or, you know, and that's kind of the situation I see with the Afghans here. We got to we got to step it up. Yeah. And whatever you think about the war, these these guys were our allies and. They deserve our help, and we're going to need allies in the future. And if we get a reputation for just turning our backs on our friends, it's not going to be good later. Yeah. Um, This is from the NBC News article. Quote, we're very concerned about the seeming lack of urgency on the part of the administration to protect vulnerable Afghans in light of the anticipated withdrawal. And that's from Adam Bates, policy counsel for the nonprofit International Refugee Assistance Project. He says, in terms of concrete plans, the information that we have gotten from them is very sparse. So the article lists tons of groups, organizations that are, you know, like dedicated to helping refugees and helping people escape. 
Um, and all of them say that they've reached out to the administration and the administration has been pretty quiet, that they seem uninterested. And then adding to that, the Taliban is ratcheting up their attacks. During the Trump administration, it looked like there was some chance for a peace agreement, but that obviously fell through. This, from that NBC article again, the Taliban have ratcheted up attacks on civil society activists and women in particular as U.S. and NATO troops prepare to withdraw, assassinating judges, journalists, and local officials. A massive bombing Saturday at a secondary school in Kabul killed at least 60 people, most of them girls. The Afghan government blamed the Taliban. Insurgents denied responsibility. So it's really tricky. I want to say that we should leave also, but at the same time, you know, the Taliban is going to, I'm assuming, probably move in and start to take over more of the country. Yeah, I, I imagine it'll be, I don't know if it'll fall as fast as South Vietnam um, after uh, we pull out completely, but I my prediction is that Afghanistan, if we really do like completely leave, Within two or three years, I, I just I don't know if the you know the nation state of Afghanistan truly established itself. I don't know if there was ever truly like an Afghan identity. From what I've read, too, this isn't going to be a a total withdrawal of U.S. troops. They're still leaving some forces behind. Oh, just like Vietnam. <laughs> just like <laughs> yeah. So that's our headlines for the day. Um, We'll be back in a week with, you know, part two of Antonio V.S. Boas. Uh, you should, if you have not, you should go back and listen to part one of that story on V.S. Boas. It's a crazy story that just gets crazier in part two. So I'm excited to get that out there and see what people think. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe. And if you have the extra wherewithal, give us a review. Written reviews are a big help when it comes to spreading the word about the show. And follow us on the socials, of course. Uh, Facebook, we're just CIA Files. And then uh, Twitter and Instagram, we're at CIA Files Podcast. And of course, the website, ciafiles.net. And you can go there. Uh, and actually, if you go there, if you want to know more about the stories we talked about today, I will have all the links for the different stories that we mentioned will be up on the website. So, yeah, um, thanks for listening. Brandon, you got any last words? Any final thoughts? Don't forget to, to like, follow, or subscribe. We got to build those listeners up. Yeah, we're practically begging. <laughs> <laughs> Try to get some independent voices out there. You want to hear some independent voices, you got to like and subscribe. All right. Well, thanks for listening and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again in a week.